some stones Saw the skin and bones Of a city without a soul I stopped outside a church house Where the citizens like to sit They say they want the kingdom But they don't want God in it Yeah, I went with nothing Nothing but the thought of you I went wandering Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter, and I'm your host, Sean McCraney. If you have family or friends who can't watch the show on television live, or they can go and watch it online, www.bornagainmormon.com. They just click on the TV shows, click on Watch Live, something like that, and they'll be able to watch from anywhere in the world this live broadcast. They can call anything they want. It's a great uh, blessing of God. So. Glad to have them here. Listen, let me read the in-house tonight. It's a great list and a great-looking audience. We have Gene and Pam, Gary and Kay, Mary Ellen, Shaney, Stephanie, Jeanette, Eileen, Dan, Elaine, Jeannie, or Jean, Kathy, Jamie and Laura, Ben, Chip, all the way from Fort Worth, Texas, Jed, Peter, Michelle, Bob, Nathan, Nancy, Chelsea, Reed, and Robert. Robert will be at Denny's tonight uh, for after the show on 5th South. For those of you who want to come and, and, and talk, he goes to all of those, so it's a great time. We invite you to do that uh, there. Uh, we said last week that we're going to make a very important announcement. I can't make it this week. I'm sorry. It's not a bait and switch. It's just we, I just couldn't get everything through. So next week we'll try to do that, and, uh, and hopefully uh, we'll be ready to do uh, tell you what we want. Listen, we're receiving hundreds of emails, and if we haven't gotten back to you, please accept our apologies. They're coming from all over, and we appreciate it. We love you, and uh, we read them all, but we just got to respond to them as best of our ability, so, so understand that and give us a little time. Last week, we had a caller uh, phone in and derogatorily talk about the Baptists who protest outside of Temple Square here in Salt Lake City and uh, received a few emails on that. This is from Claire who said, Sean, I have to make a comment about the Baptist discussion you had with the caller. I am a child of God. It just so happens that I attend the Baptist church. Our Baptist church does not agree with other Baptists that conduct themselves in the manner you were speaking about. I don't think it's right to tie all Baptists together in a neat little box. We are not all the same. I feel sometimes that some have a confused idea about Baptists. There are so many... Uh, hang-offs with this denomination. I think that's a great point. I want to remind you, uh, Clara, that I, I did not tie in all Baptists to that call. Uh, the caller was complaining that this group, who often are Baptists, come and go outside Temple Square and they mock things. And uh, I don't agree with those behaviors, but there are wonderful Baptists out there and the de denomination is full of good people, so I would never do that. And it's also a great example to show how uh, denominations are not what make 
the person right before God, uh, Baptist or, or whatever it is. It's the relationship that you have with the Lord Jesus Christ, the individual personal relationship. There are people sitting in churches all over this world every Sunday, uh, religiously, devotedly, who may not know the Lord whatsoever. And, and, and so denomination doesn't matter. And I think that's a good point. Listen, another email we got on that, David from Missouri wrote and said, uh, the protests at President Hinckley's funeral, this was done by a non-denominational independent Calvinist-based church which calls itself the Westboro Baptist Church. Sorry, no uh, slam on the Baptists again, but uh, they are from Topeka, Kansas and have traveled around the country to protest at military funerals. Their website is... And it's a terrible, terribly named website. I'm not going to even read it so they, they can't get uh, people going to it. But, you know, there are always going to be the tares among the wheat. We're going to have these difficult problems, especially as we're in this day of Laodicea and the church loses its grip on the word of God and we have these things occur. So it just comes with the territory. We'll let it go. Howard Ruff is a man who is LDS and he has a newsletter called Rough Times where he talks primarily about gold and silver commodities and how to handle your investments. But Howard Ruff in his latest newsletter came out and talked about bigotry. And in that newsletter, he talked about the Romney campaign and he wanted to talk about how Romney lost because Huckabee was a bigot and Huckabee brought in questions about the LDS faith, which have nothing to do with the race. He says this takes it back to the old history where Mormons were driven from state to state because of lies that were told about them. He says, quote, the ostensible reasons were polygamy, but that's not really why. The Mormons were very successful sheep thieves and were converting ministers and in some cases whole congregations with their message that their church was a rest restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which had been lost hundreds of years ago. This incurred the wrath of many preachers. This bigotry has been recycled using the same lies that drove the Mormons from New York to Ohio, et cetera, et cetera. I want you to know that as a pastor, um, of a small non-denominational non low-key church here in Salt Lake City, I'm protective of the, the sheep, quote-unquote, that are in the flock. And it makes you very angry if somebody who is, wants a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ is taken and taken into a, a system that is not based on truth. So if that's the case that the ministers of the day were angry because the LDS were great sheep stealers, then uh, let it be. You know, that's normal. That would anger God for some of his sheep to be taken away. And, and, and uh, Howard Ruff goes on and says this bigotry continues on and on and on. And um, that President or uh, Mitt Romney would have been a president that sought not in the least to impose Mormon theology on people, but he says Mormon social values which run concurrently with the American conservative values of this nation. And he goes on, yada, yada, yada. Interestingly enough, in light of that, there is another email someone sent me, and it is from the St. George Chamber of Commerce. And this uh, St. George Chamber of Commerce gives a report, and it talks about their um, demographics of, this, of the St. George, Washington County area. And they just happen to note in this report 
this government report that's paid for by the taxes of that people, how many of those people are returned missionaries for the LDS church? So we have Howard Ruff saying Mitt Romney would never want to impose any part of his religion upon the country, and yet in a simple little area of Utah, we see that happening. I know it's kind of a stretch, but it is what we talked about, why there's a danger in having that type of thing occur. So just something to think about. As the ministry grows, it seems we are irritating three specific groups. We're irritating the LDS, obviously. And I have a question for the LDS. What do the members of the church in this state do if they have become disaffected? Where do you think that they go when they become disenfranchised and when they become disillusioned with the truths that are out there about the history and about the present day doctrine and practices? What option do you have for those poor people? You have no option for them. And so what we do is we offer them the Lord Jesus Christ. And we say, listen, you don't have to go to the bars and you don't have to wander the streets and be completely disaffected from this community. You have the Lord Jesus Christ to turn to. And this is the hope that we hope to give them through this program. So you can be angry at us, but you give them no option. You say it's the only true church, the only way to go. And if they fall back from it, what do they have? They have nothing. That's two million people in this state with no other option. We want to give them the option of Jesus Christ, and it seems to be working. The other groups who are angry with us are the skeptics. They are so irritated. They want us to buy in postmodernism, and they want us to push that, and they're just so angry that I've gone from being a Mormon, they say one fallacy, to gone to another one, which is called Christianity. They say it's all just a bunch of lies. And to them, I would just challenge you to look in the mirror, open your heart, and see yourself for what you are. The emails we get from the skeptics are, are vitriolic. They're angry over this. Finally, we actually have some Christians, some Christ well-meaning Christian brothers and sisters who just cannot stand our ministry for whatever for. I got one from John who starts off, well, well, Sean, I noticed you will baptize people with no questions asked. I wonder what does that mean? I have a friend who says he accepted Jesus. I'm glad he approves of what Jesus did for him. If I bring him to you, will you baptize him? He concludes. It would be good if you would go back to God's word and learn what is sacred to God. Come on, man, you have been drawn away from your own lust. But you're a TV star now. I guess you have a, your reward. <laughs> what church do you operate out of? I notice you refer to yourself as a pastor. What church and what pastor did you serve under to gain this experience? You have no right to do what you do. Um, my uh, academic... Uh, background in learning to be a pastor is uh, probably laughable, uh, but I believe that the Lord Jesus Christ, by my faith and trust in him, has called me to do what I do. I did go to uh, uh, school and uh, learn the word the best I could in their program, and uh, I believe in the gospel as it's taught in the Bible, and I don't diminish baptisms whatsoever. I believe baptism was uh, ordained of God and is an important thing. And I just, the, the, the major point of this is we need to get along as Christians so that the Mormons don't see infighting within this state alone, let alone the country. And we come together on the core issues of Jesus Christ and let the other stuff kind of take a back seat. Finally, I received an email from a Latter-day Saint that seems to be a rational question. This is from Jax. He says, if salvation 
is through faith in Jesus alone, what harm does it cause to be active in the LDS church and to believe in modern day prophets if we have faith in Jesus Christ and we misunderstand all of these other aspects of the gospel, what difference does it make? I guess I'm confused by your purpose, Sean. Your faith seems to be very basic and simple to me. If you are right, then the only thing Mormons are doing is they're doing more than is necessary. What are you trying to save them from? Do you believe that they can't be saved in believing in all that they do? As long as they have faith in Jesus Christ, according to the little I have read on your website, they will be saved. Simple. So going to the temple and believing you will be a family forever or believing the Lord still communicates through modern day prophets or believing in the fictional testimony of the Book of Mormon, how does it hurt? Well, Jax, let me give you a couple responses to that. First of all, we could go down the road where we talk about your idea of who Jesus is and the ontology, the makeup of Jesus. We're not going to do that tonight. We've done that on plenty of other shows. We could go and cite the Bible where Jesus says, there are many who are going to say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do many wonderful works in your name? And he's going to say, I don't know who you are. But I'm not going to talk about that either. I want to give you just a, an example that might help because we've talked about these other things on the show. I want you to imagine that there's a worldwide brownie recipe contest, all right? And everybody from out the world who, who loves to cook brownies submits their recipe, and the judges taste all the brownies, and suddenly this outside smoker comes in and just takes the contest hands down with their recipe. This recipe for brownies comes from God. And it's a perfect recipe for brownies. There is no better recipe whatsoever. And he has the right amounts of and the right ingredients and the right process and cooking time and temperatures and mixtures, everything. And when you cook those brownies in that way, you taste brownies that are unreal, okay? <laughs> now, this is the problem with what you're asking me, Jax. Let's say you take the elements that are in God's recipe and you decide to add a few things to it. Is it still the best brownie, the award-winning brownie recipe? It's not. You might have all the same sugar, the same flour, the same fudge, all those same things. But if you add in a little extra of something else, it's not the award-winning recipe any longer. Okay, taking it a step further, let's say you add a half a cup of motor oil and a couple teaspoons of shredded steel. Then you have the brownies. Now, are they the same recipe? You've added things, it's the same contents, but you've added a few more. Is it the same? It's not. And that's the point. God has given us the recipe. It's a very simple recipe. It tastes beautifully, it's eternal, it's unchanging, it's here in the book. You, not you, Jax, but your church has decided to add some things to the recipe. And when people eat that, it kills them. Thank you for that. It kills them, and it's not good. So that's why you have difficulty adding things to the recipe. That's why it's not the same gospel, my brother, when you have somebody who is eating those brownies and there's shards of metal in it, okay? I hope that makes some sense to you, but your, your question seems really logical, but it's not right in the context of the Bible. All right, with all of that, let's go and have a word of prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you for this airtime. We praise your name. We ask your spirit to be with our viewers. Help those who are channel surfing to stop on the set. 
stop on the show and let your spirit bring them in and help them see the truths as we talk about the fall tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, we talked about the LDS claims that the Garden of Eden was located in the state of Missouri, right next to a place Joseph said Adam and Eve lived called Adam on Diamond once they were cast out of the garden. One of the most preposterous things about this revelation that Joseph came to was how he came about that revelation. He's walking along and someone comes up and they point out a stack of rocks that could have been put there by nature, it could have been put there by Indians, we don't know, and by looking on those rocks, Joseph made the revelational claim that this was an altar built by Adam himself in this place, the Garden of Eden. Joseph was known for taking things and immediately providing the people around him with instant information about their origins. Some people took, brought some plates to him, not golden plates, called kinderhook plates. And they brought them these plates and they said, what are these? And they made them look old and they, they fabricated these plates. And Joseph, he claimed that they were ancient writings. I mean, it's, it's, it was a complete indictment on the man's ability to discern truth from error or to prove that he was a fraud. There's a story, and I can't prove this, I've looked for the, but there's a story I've heard that Joseph Smith was doling out uh, lots in Missouri, and he gave a lot to a family, and the family said, we don't want that lot, Joseph. And Joseph instantly said, but that's where Cain slew Abel. And, and the guy said, well, well, then I want it. You know, maybe it has more value. Why, well, I don't know. But Joseph was able to, in the circumstance, can influence people with all kinds of imaginative uh, revelations. I posted a query on our website talking about uh, the LDS defending the idea that the Garden of Eden was in Independence, Missouri. And uh, the apologists came forth and they didn't support, they didn't disappoint us on their claims that it is true. They ended one of the posts with, what a shame it is to pick on other people's sacred beliefs. More and more, the LDS people are pulling the intolerance card in defense of their faith. They're labeling anyone who merely rejects their claims as religious bigots. They are attempting to limit our language, and they say things like the, the, the term twistianity isn't very, isn't very Christ-like. And uh, they won't let any type of criticism come in. They're doing this more and more. They forget that Joseph told the world that God told him that all the ministers of the day were an abomination and so were their teachings. They forget that the LDS missionaries knock on doors, at least 30,000 missionaries in the world today knock on doors and they share a message that every single church on this earth, every other gospel is false. That Mormonism is the only true. They forget that they do that. They forget that the LDS leaders have ridiculed the Bible that we hold sacred, that they will get up and they will say, it can't be trusted, trust us. So stay in the fight, my friends, because it is a war and it's a war for souls. The LDS are battling for souls to give their allegiance to an institution. We are battling for souls to give their allegiance to Jesus Christ. We don't care about your allegiance to Sean McCraney's show or a church or a denomination. We care about you coming to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life. There's a big difference. Understand the motives and you'll understand the purposes. So Adam and Eve were cast out of the Garden of Eden and now we come to our discussion of the fall. I think I'm going to present something tonight that is going to take a sledgehammer to 
the cohesiveness of Mormon doctrine. I haven't heard it, and I think this is going to be a point that might be worth some merit. Uh, but I'm going to try to explain the Christian idea of the fall first in plain terms using scripture, and then I'm going to do, give you a short but efficient idea of what's wrong with the LDS version. To the Christian mind reading the Bible, God is a creator. And he isn't, it's not just a title, he is creation. He is a creator. And he creates millions and trillions of things constantly. And one way God gives life was by creating humans, and he gave us a world to live in. And uh, as humans, he, he created us in his image. He gave, he gave us a body, he gave us a soul, he gave us a spirit, three in one. He gave us, he created us in his image in that way. And then of course he created beasts, and he created planets, and angels, and I don't know, maybe even dangly aliens out there in other worlds. I have no idea, but he's a creator, all right? And God created man in his image, and he desired fellowship with man. And he provided a gorgeous and beautiful world for Adam and Eve, collectively the first man which, in which they could live. Now, instead of the Hellenistic notion that there is a pre-existence of spirits that the LDS embrace, Christians believe that God breathed into Adam and he became a living soul. That the spirit didn't exist in a pre-existent state, but the spirit came from the breath of God. Genesis 2.7 says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Excuse me. This breath, Christians believe, gives life to mankind, humankind, here on this earth, the living breath of God. Ecclesiastes 12.7 says, Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit shall return to God who gave it. As a creator, God placed Adam and Eve in the garden. He gave them some commands. In the first account of the creation, he says in Genesis 1.28, And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and every other living thing that moveth upon the earth. Then in the second account of the creation, he says to Adam, and Adam only, Eve hadn't been created, in Genesis 2.16, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. Two uh, commands, multiply and don't eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now Christians the world over believe God is a 100% straight shooter. They trust him. They don't believe he tempts his people. They don't believe that he deceives his people. What he says can be completely trusted. The command God gives are not contradictory. They're not obtuse. They're not full of trickery. This was not a game God was playing with Adam and Eve. He told them to multiply and replenish the earth, don't take of the tree. And Christians believe that both of these commands could be lived by Adam and Eve in the garden. Again, he wanted fellowship with them. Death, disfigurement, sin, children being murdered, all the atrocities of war are not part of the Creator's plan. They never have been. Never. Okay? As the grand Creator, He hates death and He hates destruction. He loves creation. He loves life. But He adores free will and He had to give it to Him. 
So Adam and Eve could have trusted in God's commands. They could have been fruitful and multiplied and subdued the earth as they were commanded. Uh, they had abilities. Look at what Adam did before he fell. You ready? Genesis 2:19. Out of the ground the Lord formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. How does an uninformed person who has no ability to really rationally think name all the animals? Why did God give him this? Was he naming them Baba and Shishu and Nana? No, he was naming the animals of the earth. He was made in God's image. He had communion with God. He could ask God his advice. What do you think I should call this woolly little thing that's running? How about sheep? Okay, let's call them the sheep. He had this, this communication with the Lord. As capable creations, Adam and Eve could have had children. Christians say if they weren't capable of procreating, why would God tell them to multiply and replenish the earth? He wouldn't. It was a command. He wanted them to do it. And let me tell you, any man with the parts is going to figure out how to use them. <laughs> so this is, this is something that the LDS, and we're going to talk about the problem, all right? Let's say that Adam and Eve were uncertain about how to multiply and replenish the earth. They walked with God. They talked with God. Their spirits were with God. They could have communed with them. Father, we understand don't eat of the tree, but this multiply and replenish the earth, how does this happen? They could have gone to him. That's what he wants. That's what he wants in believers today, to go to him and talk with him and have a relationship with him so that he can guide you in your life. All right? Well... God didn't mislead Adam or Eve or trick them by giving uh, them conflicting orders. You, if you can't trust God's word from the onset, if you have to wonder, is he tricking me? It's a really big problem. Christians believe that mankind could have lived forever in paradise. Children could have been brought in and we could have lived in that situation. And that was God's will. Uh, so the results of the fall... Satan comes in and he tempts the woman with the fruit. And uh, you can find all this in Genesis chapter 3, verses uh, 1 through 5. And he, she was enticed. He tells her, you shall become as gods if you eat it, knowing good from evil. She saw the fruit was, uh, looked tasty and uh, was appealing. And she takes the fruit and she eats it. And then she, um, she gives it to uh, Adam and Adam partakes and eats of it too. So Eve seen the fruit was good, and on we go. Now, the LDS teach that this was a transgression, that Eve and Adam did not know the difference between good and evil, so her partaking of that was not sin. It was a transgression. I'm going to talk more about that next week, but listen to this verse about it. Listen closely, 1 John 3, 4. Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law. For sin is the transgression of the law. Okay? It was sin, LDS. This is a major point in your doctrine that they didn't sin. It was just this mere transgression, which Dallin Oaks, apostle of the church, he, he lays this out. We'll talk about that next week. So we got all that. Now we come to Joseph Smith. He comes along and he gives a different, completely different view of the fall. A different plan, as it were. To the Mormons, God told Adam and Eve to multiply and replenish the earth, but he knew they were incapable of doing this because they didn't know how. So he tells them that. They didn't know how to proceed. 
And in order for them to fulfill the commandment to multiply and replenish the earth, they had to break God's law of to not eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, which would open their eyes and thereby allow them to know how to procreate. The reason that they had to procreate to the LDS where there was a billion trillion spirits in the pre-existent waiting to come down and we all sat there as spirits saying, come on, Adam and Eve, disobey God, disobey God, because when you do, we're going to have a chance to come down and get bodies and come to this earth. That's their theology. To the LDS, as long as Adam and Eve remained in the garden, they were either going to be in violation of the first commandment to multiply and replenish the earth because they didn't know how to do it, so they were in violation of that, or they would take the fruit, be in violation of that, but obey the first commandment. And this is their, their whole thinking. Oh, the tangled webs we weave. You got to think about this. Relative to Christian thinking, this is astounding teachings, and let me tell you why. First of all, Adam and Eve had to transgress one of God's law because they uh, were in, God made it incapable, made it impossible for them to be capable to obey them both. That's a catch-22. That's a God who uses, who uses trickery. And that is what the LDS view of God and his word. You have to understand that. I'm not picking on you. That is how it is seen. That is how it's seen. The ideas... Uh, that uh, God's word can be reinterpreted, uh, misread, uh, and have to be viewed by the spirit is how the LDS work. Um, listen, Jesus may have said there's no marriage in heaven, but we know he didn't really mean that. You see how that leads you down a slippery slope? Brigham Young saying to the men at Mountain Meadows, you know, we know that the scripture says thou shalt not kill, but we know that's not what it really means. <laughs> see? And, uh, you know, surely God said there's no God before him, but come on, you know, we know what the... And so every single thing in the word is up to reinterpretation. That is such a slippery slope, and it starts with the very first book of Genesis. And that's what Joseph did. He undermined the belief in the word. And now they, all these 12 million people are subject to reinterpretation, redirection by who? By men. Now, in uh, one of the verses uh, of the Book of Mormon, it says, Adam fell that men might be and men are that they might have joy. This is an uh, errant verse in the Book of Mormon. Brigham Young said, quote, Some may regret that our first parents sinned. This is nonsense. If we had been there and they had not sinned, we would have sinned. I will not blame Adam and Eve. Why? Because it was necessary that sin should enter into the world. Think about this for a minute. Before we go to the phones, let's open them up. 801-973-TV20, 801-973-8820. To Latter-day Saints and according to Brigham Young, sin needed to be brought into this world. It, this is an interesting concept because they believe that heaven is going to be a place, a utopia, where there will be no sin. But here, sin needed to be brought in. They believe you can exist in a, a place where there is no sin. They look and long for that place, but they can't believe that it could have been here on this earth. I want you to think about something for a second, and then this is the question that I think puts a sledgehammer to their theology completely. The LDS believe that in order for the spirits to come down from heaven and get bodies, Adam and Eve had to sin and partake of the fruit. 
The LDS believe, if you've watched the other shows two weeks ago, that Satan was in this pre-existence. His name was Lucifer. He and his brother Jesus and all of us were there, and there was a war in heaven, and Satan was cast out. So he knew God's plan for this uh, salvation, right? Why would Satan tempt Eve to eat of the fruit if eating the fruit would have meant that all those spirits would come down and fulfill God's plan? Doesn't make any sense. Satan would have tried everything to keep them away from that tree. He would have done everything he could to have them not eat the fruit. But the LDS embraced this thing of eating the fruit that it was necessary. And you can say, well, Satan didn't know. Satan knew perfectly well. In fact, in the temple, God comes and he says to Satan, what are you doing after he got uh, Eve to fall? And he says, I'm doing that which has been done in other worlds. So Satan knew it makes no logical it has no logical connection for Satan to have tempted Eve with that fruit. I think that's a huge crack in the whole thing. We're going to John O'Fallon in Illinois. He's LDS and he's a first-time caller. John, you're on Heart of the Matter. Sean, I'm an active member of the church. I'm in the bishopric where I live, and I have something to say to you. Yes, sir. By the power of the Holy Melchizedek Priesthood, I rebuke you and I command you to turn from your evil ways. You're a son of perdition, and you're an apostate. And I rebuke you by my priesthood. Do you hear me? Is something supposed to happen now? John, with the priesthood... This isn't a game, Sean. John, with the priesthood that you have, that you're taking from Jesus Christ, the only high priest that we have, am I supposed to be afraid of this thing that you're trying to throw down on me, this false priesthood? I, I am a high priest, Sean. You are not a high priest. Jesus is the only high priest there is, John O'Fallon. You are misled, my brother, and you're going to be sorely surprised when you stand before him and you try to say, I'm a high priest. He's going to say, I'm the high priest, and there is no other I'm sorry, my friend, you are misled, and I say this in love. You can know freedom. You don't know it sitting in that bishopric. I've been there. Sean, what are you going to do when you're in outer darkness and you look up and see Joseph Smith's face shining brighter than the new day sun? How are you going to feel then? I, I love this. Thank you. Uh, I will, I guess, try to get a tan by it. I don't know. <laughs> uh, listen, John, look it. You must have watched the shows out there in Illinois. You can see, you've heard, I'm presenting evidence. You're not calling me insane. Sean, you're so wrong on this fact. Sean, this I'm rebuking so you by the power of the Holy Melchizedek priesthood, and that's more powerful than anything you have. Than any fact. Okay. Well, is there anything else you want to say before I go to the next call? Yes, yes. Okay. I, you know, I wish they would bring the Danites back. I really do. What would they do? Oh, I really the, wish the Danites... Tell the audience what the Danites would do, John. Well, you know, I don't have to say you want me to tell the audience? Okay, John, I'm going to let you go. Uh, the Danites were a band of thugs that were established in Nauvoo, and uh, they went around, uh, they say not under the authority of Joseph, but I believe there's enough evidence to show that there, there were, that they were, and they beat people up, and they trashed people, and they killed them. I mean, that may be hyperbole in my part. I'm not sure. I'll have to check Sandra Tanner. Go to www.utlm.org and ask her. Uh, but the man's essentially hoping someone will come and kill me. That's what he said. And he wished they would bring them back. So, uh, all right, let's go to the next call. Maybe it's going to be a little more positive. Steve and Layton, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, Sean, it's Steve. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you, Steve? 
Fantastic. Excellent. Long time since I've talked to you. Used to be Steve from Clearfield, now Steve from Layton. Well, it's good to know you've moved. Well, what's happening? Oh, I just had a point. Uh, that was uh, quite interesting, that call. That seemed that that was more from Lucifer than from God. So. Well, uh, uh, maybe, he's, maybe he's just uh, going more into the dark before he comes to the light. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I just had a point to make. Uh, uh, you went over the Garden of Eden. Uh, where that was established that they could procreate without the fall. Yes. And it states it right there in chapter 1, verse 28. Yes. Uh, the thing I wanted to point out, though, more importantly, uh, you made a very excellent statement that that just blew me away a moment ago, uh, that he would have never instructed him to partake of that tree. So that was a great point. Satan you're talking about? Yes, uh-huh, yeah. Satan. Yeah. And... Uh, the thing I wanted to point out here is, first, chapter in Isaiah chapter 44, verse 8. Uh-huh. Uh, I believe that's the one I want to go for. Oh, no, no, excuse me. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse uh -huh. 33. Okay. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace is in all churches of the saints. Well, how come there's so much confusion, confusion with the LDS religion? If that's... That's one confused God. Changing verses, changing passages, dates, times, uh, no, nothing. The Smithsonian Institute does not support it as a historical documentation whatsoever. Yeah. That is confusion beyond confusion. Yeah. And it's a good point. And uh, the revisions and um, the anachronism, anachronistic difficulties of the Book of Mormon, all of those things are well-founded. I'm sorry, Steve, that I pushed this so much, but... Uh, www.utlm.org, you can see this stuff for yourself. You can see how they've gone back and they've just, they've fixed all their problems and they've revised and rewritten and constantly covering. And it's just not right. It's just not fair. So uh, it's a good point, my brother. I thank you for calling. Well, I had one more thing to add to that. All right. Uh, real quickly, Isaiah chapter 46, verse 9. Okay. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else. And that's a capital G. Yes. I am God, capital G, and there is none like me. That's right. Then Isaiah chapter 44, verse 8, Fear ye not, neither be afraid. Have not I told thee from that time, and have declared it? Ye are even my witnesses. Is there a God beside me? Yea, there is no God. I know not any. Yeah, praise God. God is, if God is all-knowing, and he knows of no other God, that right there crumbles. Yes. And another point I want to make that, that you made earlier, too, and so they can think about this one. Yes. And search it with, with their mind. Think about it. Just think about it. And listen to me here. And I'm going to be very facetious and sarcastic when I say this, because this is not how I feel. Okay, you got to hurry, though, Steve. We okay, have... I'll wrap it up. Jesus Christ did not do anything great. Why? Because there, the Mormon religion teaches that it's already been done by his father and his father, and on and on it goes, and others will do it. So why was it such a great thing? Couldn't have been. Wow. Really good point, my brother. Thank you so much, Steve. Keep going. God bless you. God bless you. Bye-bye. We uh, uh, that, that, that point about God being the only God, just that in and of itself, I want you to know, viewers, that is so important to the Christian beliefs. We worship one God. We 
we know there is no God before him. And when you start playing around with that stuff, you're playing around with his word and you're listening to men and you're listening to fables that have been rewritten and it's so dangerous. I know it seems, I get the emails, you think I'm bagging on you. I'm bagging on you for a reason. Just, just look, sit up and look and take the time to find out who Jesus truly is and you will change. Let's go to Travis in Tooele on the legendary line four. Travis, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. Uh, I, I just wanted to ask if you'd seen the Romney speech. What, today? No, if you had seen it when it, when he came out with it. I don't know if you saw it live or the recorded version or whatever. Uh, the speech about his faith? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. We talked about that maybe uh, five weeks ago. Well, I wanted to bring up something kind of interesting about it. Yes. If you've seen it, you know, in his speech he said that you shouldn't vote for or against somebody based off of their faith. Yeah. And I thought it was kind of interesting that Utah moved up their primary to a Super Tuesday to try to make more of an impact. Uh -huh. And I thought that more or less kind of shot him in the foot because 90% uh, of Utah voted for Romney. And in Nevada and Idaho, overall, overwhelmingly, uh, Mormons voted for Romney, 97% or more. Huh. Interesting. And, and so... With that, I was just kind of thinking it's, uh, you know, he said you shouldn't vote for or against, or if you do that, you're a bigot, and there, there's nobody more un-American than somebody who votes for somebody based off of their faith. Well, nobody I didn't, nobody really brought that up here that was LDS that I noticed. It wasn't on KSL and everything on how appalling that was. Right. 97% of people who were LDS voted for Romney. And that shows the, the greatest propensity for bigotry is what you're saying. Exactly. Yeah. Great point, Travis. Thanks so much. Yeah, no problem. Okay, bye-bye. Listen, what that means, those of you who don't know, I didn't know this until a few years ago, bigotry means that your way, whether it be your race or your sex or your religion, is better than other ways. And so this, this uh, politically correct word, you're, a, you're full of bigotry. Well, it's true. We all are. We all think our families are better or that we all think our race is a little better. I mean, it's normal of being in this fallen world. It takes Christ to come into our hearts and see everybody as they are, fallen, sinful, and to stop playing these bigotry games. But it's no big, uh, terrible word to have someone call you a bigot because we are bigots, okay? Think about that. We're going to Jeffrey in Salt Lake City, first-time caller. Jeffrey, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, how are you doing tonight? Hey, Jeffrey, I'm doing better now that I'm talking to you. What's happening? I mean, I, I was saying that Jehovah's Witnesses, and they teach that Jesus was just um, died on the stake with one narrow going through both hands, or other was impaled. Je Jeff. But, but Je in the Jeff. New World Translation, in, uh, in John chapter 20, yeah. verses 24 and 25, this indicates that Jesus was crucified, because it says right here, in John chapter 20, verses 24 and 25, in the New World Translation, that Thomas, one of the twelve, who was called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. Consequently, the other disciples would say to him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the print of the nails, nails being plural, not singular, the print of the nails in, in his hands. Oh. If I stick into the print of the nails and stick my hand to his side, I will certainly not believe. Right. That is a great point. Uh, I didn't get the first part, but I did understand your point that it was nails, not a nail, and that is a really good insight for I those. Have, I have the book called 
What does Raul really teach is by the Jewish Minister's organization? I could dry my hair by Jeff's voice. <laughs> yes, go on. Uh, it's by the Jewish Minister's organization. On page 52 of this book, it shows Jesus being held with one nail going through both hands. Wow. Now, which is correct, the Bible or this book? Or the men, right. The Bible. Great call, Jeff. Thanks so, thanks so much, my brother. Jesus was crucified. According to your scripture, John 20, He was. Thank 24 and 25. Jesus was crucified because it uses the word nails thank in his hands. He didn't right. say hands and feet. It says hands. Ex exactly. Great comment. Thank you so much. You take care. The Jewish was like... <laughs> I had to do it. I tried. I'm sorry, he was full of passion, I understand. I, I know if I called, I'm spitting. If I called, I would be hung up on too. So uh, let's go to Kevin in West Jordan. Kevin, you're on Heart of the Matter. Yeah, Sean, you're doing a really good uh, show tonight. Uh, Thank uh, you. Getting into the fall of, um, uh, of Adam and, and Eve and the, 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 the sin in the, in, in the garden. Um, I want to um, kind of... Uh, uh, let me see. Give you admonition. Something that you said last week. I'm in trouble. Okay, uh, go ahead. Yeah, you are. I'm, I'm, I'm going to kind of rebuke you. In. Won't be the first time, but go uh, ahead. Uh, in Matthew chapter 18, verse 19, a man comes up to Jesus and he says, "Good master," and asks him a question. And Jesus looks at him and says, "Well, why do you call me good? Yeah. Only God is good. Yeah. Last week you referred to Gordon B. Hinckley as being." Uh, a good man? A, a good man. Well, yeah. I'm here to say that he was not a good man. Okay. Anybody who would lead millions to destruction cannot be a good man. Yeah. Um, Sean, I'm going to say that you are by far better uh, man than he is, uh, not because you are good, because Paul himself said, in my flesh dwells no good thing. That's true. But the fact that you have Jesus in your heart makes you a good man. Yes, I agree with you, and, and your point's well taken, and I do agree with you on, on that. And I guess I should have clarified that. I should have prefaced it by in the way the world looks at people. Exactly. Yeah, and I'm sorry, and I, and I agree with you completely. Yes, you know, and, and like what God told um, uh, Samuel when he was uh, going to pick David to be the king, uh, and not, uh, got all of the seven brothers before him, and God says, I don't look at the outward appearance. I look at the heart, right, right. and the heart of the man who would knowingly, I believe knowingly, lead millions to hell and destruction is not a good man. All right, my brother. I appreciate the call. It's a good point. It's going to generate some uh, emails. I hope you'll come over to my house and help me answer them. <laughs> okay, I'll do that. All right, God bless you. Bye. Thanks, bye-bye. We are going to Ted and, I almost said Sandy and Ted. We're going to Ted and Sandy. Here we go. Ted, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, Sean, God bless you. Appreciate God bless you. what you're doing. Thank you. Um, I had a qu uh, comment about the LDS not believing that um, Adam and Eve knew how to procreate. Um, you can read Genesis chapter 1. It talks about God telling the animals to be fruitful and multiply before he even told Adam to be fruitful and multiply. Good evening, heart of the matter. And Good if evening. you go to Genesis 20, um, Genesis chapter 2, verse 20, yeah. after he tells them to name the animals, Yeah. He, I'll, uh, and I'll quote right from the Bible, and Adam gave the names to all the cattle and all the fowl of the air and every beast of the field. In the same sentence, he also says, but for Adam there was not 
found a help meet for him. Okay. Um, all of a sudden, Adam's naming all these animals that have mates, and he notices he doesn't have a mate. Okay. And um, so wouldn't you think that Adam, I mean, the, the animals are already being fruitful and multiplying, that maybe he could learn from the animals how to procreate? I don't know. Just a thought. Family-oriented television all the way. Uh, I, I would get yeah, and it's a good point, you know, and that, that uh, Adam looks around and says, hey, the animals are doing this, you know, where's my mate? And God says, okay, and pulls from the rib. Yeah, it's a good point. It's just another thing to look at relative to the LDS doctrine. So really good point, Ted. Okay, thank you. God bless, thank you. Couple uh, emails quickly, uh, 10 minutes left. Uh, lines are full, but keep trying. Uh, Jelena Springville, how are you paid? She wants to know how I'm paid. Uh, I'm not paid for doing this show. Uh, I uh, received no funds from anybody for doing the show. Uh, we started Lord's Word about seven months ago. People do contribute there, uh, not by solicitation, and we use those to pay for our bills. I've not received dime one for anything I do. I work down in Southern California three days out of the week. I come up here in four. You might say, well, how do you support a family on that? God has provided for me. I was a stockbroker for 13 years. Uh, there's this, the great thing LDS love to do is to say that I am, you know, getting wealthy off this. And that, uh, and it's just a lie. I have gone into the poorhouse for this. Uh, and that is a blessing to me. Uh, praise God. So it, it, how I am paid is not through this uh, ministry. Michael and Provo, do you actually believe you can make a dent in the only true church on earth? Michael, I don't believe I can make a dent in Mormonism, which is not the only two church on earth, but I believe God can bring Mormonism to its doctrinal knees. That's what we look for God to do. But along the way, we're going to snatch as many seekers as we can and bring them to the Lord. So I've always said from day one of this show, a hundred shows ago, I've always said this show is for those people who do not believe in Mormonism, but know no other way. It's not for the stalwarts. The stalwarts believe what they're going to believe no matter what. So it's not for you. Turn the channel if you're a stalwart, and it's unless, unless somehow we're getting through to you, and that happens too. But this is for the seekers, all right? So I uh, hope that helps. Uh, really quick, uh, Taylor, if God is in Missouri, oh, if the Garden of Eden is in Missouri, what else happened there? Cain killed Abel in Missouri. Uh, the ark was built in Missouri out of gopher wood. I didn't know gopher wood was it. Isn't that what the ark was made out of? Yeah. Yes. So maybe Missouri has some hidden gopher wood trees around there. Maybe, maybe not. And then, of course, we said last week that they sailed through the flood down the Mississippi or the Missouri to the Gulf of Mexico and went over to the Old World and landed in Mount Ararat and then populated from that point forward, if you believe that. I just... Uh... And Natalie from France, we don't do shout-outs, but she says she loves the show and wants to know if books are available in France, and we're working on things like that. All right, a few other... We're going to Scott and Sandy, who's a first-time caller. Scott, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi. Hi, Scott. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Doing really well. Excellent. You're on the air. All right, great. Uh, my question for you was, there was an email that was sent to you earlier this evening about... Uh, and I'm not... Uh, active uh, Mormon, familiar with their teachings, familiar with the, uh, I would say, Christian theology. And my question, uh, the email was, if the Mormons believe in Jesus, 
and that's the most important thing to get to heaven. Right. And what do all these other th- other issues even matter? Right. And I gave that explanation. About Adam and Eve. And you, you gave an analogy about brownies. Brownies. Yeah. And uh, the, I didn't think it was a good one. <laughs> question, because the analogy was basically if you add more to the recipe, you're going to mess up the recipe. Yeah. But that doesn't mean they don't believe in Jesus. Well, no, it doesn't. Uh, it doesn't mean they don't believe in Jesus. But we could. We've done so many shows about how their faith in Jesus is a different belief. You see, they mess the recipe up by reorganizing what it means to be saved and what it means what to I'm be saved. Is, but what I'm asking you is, the examples that you've given are about a different belief in Adam and Eve, in how the world was created, yeah. in where Cain killed Abel. Yeah. None of that matters, correct? Right, but Scott, we've done shows on Jesus and how they, they view Jesus in a completely different way. He's a created being to them. He is not what the Bible teaches, that Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, that he's the word that has existed forever and created all things. They believe in a completely different Jesus. I just didn't go down that road because we're always doing that, and I wanted to give the LDS another tidbit to, to munch on, uh, and that's why I gave the brownie example. But it, 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 I understand your point, but we have done many shows on how it's a different Jesus. Well, and so what you're saying is if, if the LDS believes in your Jesus, no. Jesus that you have decided is the actual Jesus. No. Then they would be saved. Who decided who was Jesus? You're saying that it comes from the Bible. Someone's interpreted the Bible and come up with what you're now claiming is who Jesus is. Well, Scott, here's the thing, and, and we don't have much time. There's other callers, but let me say this. There is... Um, it's funny, but amidst all the denominations on this earth that are, call themselves Christian. No matter how many people. No, no, let me finish, Scott. This, Scott, just let me finish. The Christians who read the Bible come to understand the same Jesus. Whether, whether the guy, whether their pastor or reverend or preacher is teaching them all kinds of other things, they come to understand who Jesus is. The Mormons have not done that. But can I say one thing? Yeah. Everyone that you're claiming has come to understand who Jesus is. Yeah. Is a person, a human being. Yeah. Well, also there are churches that teach who a lot Jesus. Of people. Is. So what you're saying is this is a democracy. If, if more people no. on the world, on the earth today, believe Jesus is a certain way than a, a minority, I'm not saying must that. Be right. I'm not. I'm not saying that. Now, but I am saying that the are. Bible teaches a version of who Jesus is, and that version is embraced by people worldwide, regardless of denomination. You're saying the Bible can be taken in any different way, and obviously certain men will take it a different way. But the Bible's very plain on who he is, and the LDS version is extra biblical. It's outside of what the Bible teaches. They add things that is not in this book. I'm not arguing. What, I, what you're understanding, I'm not arguing for the LDS. I, I know you're not. Oh. I, you're probably not a believer at all. I understand that. I'm but not saying I'm a believer. I'm not a believer in either of these, but what I am saying is you've got a huge logical flaw in that your be, argument. That may be true when it comes to the brownie. Uh, no, no, no. Well, let's go back to who Jesus is. Okay. If, if, we have, if you have to believe in the real Jesus, yeah. the Jesus that is evident from the Bible, yeah. and the way that you know, I mean, how do you know your Jesus is the real Jesus from the Bible? How do I know the Mormon Jesus isn't the right one? Well, that's because all Christian religions think Jesus is a certain way, 
Mormons think he's a different way. Okay. What you just said. Okay. Uh, Scott, a couple things. We did a show on Gnosis and Knowing on Gnosko, and you can go back and watch that, and that's how Christians know, and it's, a, it's what I say, the only thing they can truly know, and that is who Jesus truly is. So if you watch that show, it would help. I'm not going to go into it now. But I, I do think uh, you're, 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 you're tapping on to something that's good. Call back next week and let's continue on. We have two minutes left. Thank you. But I wish it wasn't so short, but I want to say that you can come to an ontological idea, knowledge of who Jesus is. But that knowledge is based on no. some other human no. beings' knowledge. No, Jesus says you can know the truth and the truth will set you free. And that's what I believe. Wait, but wait, but wait, yeah. but wait. I don't think that has Scott, anything to do Scott, with Scott, any other Christian church believes Scott, wait. or what the Scott, Mormons believe. Scott, but wait. I believe. Jesus also said, I am the truth. You see, so he said you can know the truth. That's him. And he said, I am the truth. So your knowing is knowing him. He says you can know him. And that is that ontological understanding of who he is. And you're saying that nobody can do that, and I'm saying that Christians can. That's the promise well, that Jesus gave. Other people other than Christians, that's what I'm saying. Other people other than Christians. What other person is going to know who Jesus is who is not a Christian? Why not? Why couldn't you? Why do you have to be a Christian? Because, because that's who you, you would be knowing who Jesus is. Why? Because it's based, you'd be ignoring what you're saying is, you'd be ignoring what these Christian churches teach and it's all a bunch of, you, in my opinion you wouldn't be ignoring it you would be embracing it and this is where we part ways listen i'm cutting you off because we are out of time but i like the call let's uh, keep the dialogue going yeah all right bye. thanks bye-bye okay uh we have one minute left um i'm gonna try barbara really quick barbara you have 30 yeah. seconds thanks barbara oh no barbara hi you have 30 seconds thank you very much I just wanted to encourage all of the Christians that have heard this program tonight to pray for you, Sean, for your safety, for your well-being, and for your uh, continued ministry. You're a man of God, and he's on your backside. Thanks so much, uh, Barbara. Uh, it was very nice. No applause for me. I'm the donkey. Listen, uh, God bless you all. Let's pray for uh, this state to catch on fire with the truth of Jesus Christ and uh, move forward in truth, reading the word, doing our best. We're going to fail, but trusting in him. They're going to be meeting at Denny's tonight at 5th South, so you can go over there and check that out. And uh, you can also check out Lord's Word if you're not going to church. Get off your rear end and come to church. <laughs> Wherever it is, go to a good Christian church, learn the Bible, learn the word, and we'll see you next week here on Heart of the Matter. Break my, gonna break my rusty cage.